Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Together, we welcome you to the Butterfly Forecast. Sushi, what's been on your mind lately? (laughs) Well, today we're talking about evolving and devolving. Mm. I always think about this because on Lauren Hill's Unplugged record, she talks about if something's not growing, it's dying. And Mm. I think that was the first time I ever thought about that. Like, we can't just be stagnant. We either have to be growing, and if we're not growing, then we're going the opposite direction. Yeah, I mean, that is everything my near-death experience has whittled down to, Mm. evolving and devolving, how we evolve, how we devolve. You know, I was so deeply concerned with it. I'm such a backwards person. I think I started out in life being intensely worried about our species and if we would evolve. And I think over time, I'm finally just trusting it's okay if we devolve, since we've done it so many cycles. But the fact that it's why we're here Like, if we were going to sum up the purpose of our life, every one of us, no matter who is listening and who is not listening, it's still the same. We're here to evolve. And, you know, I always think in my own life, point by point, where is this taking me? What is this in my own history? Is this about something I'm evolving, working on, processing, striving for, letting go, mm-hmm. or <laughs> have I backslid and I'm just evolving right. into history? Well, that's interesting because I understand devolving as a concept, but I don't actually know what it means to devolve personally. So what to you, what is it like, when do we devolve? And my understanding of devolution History is very familiar. I think that's why we don't change. On the bigger picture level, why society still has the same problems and ills that it has always had, because it's so familiar we don't change. Mm. As populations, as crowd behavior, crowd thinking, family cultures, clan cultures, We're so afraid of being disloyal to what was. So it's very hard to think for yourself. So you're saying anytime we don't think for ourselves, we're devolving. We have the opportunity then to automatically go into what is historical, and that is devolving. Hmm. So if I do something that goes against my knowing or my sort of my intuition, that's devolving. Yes, or... I'm devolving every day. (laughs) Actually, Smooshy, I love that you said that because, (laughs) you know, we think of evolving and devolving in this grand, sweeping, Hollywood, scientific way. Totally. The empirical evolutionary step, and you hear trumpets blasting to accompany that step. But evolution... 
our baby steps, the small things we do every day to stay conscious or make a different decision with what we know is not good for us or benefiting others. How have you experienced a step backwards and how have you experienced an evolutionary step forward? You know, I can think of a lot of times I've evolved where maybe I've thought about things in a kind of a Disney way. Mm. And then I'm like, oh, that's not how the world works. And I guess, is that an evolution? And then you recognize that pattern or you recognize that behavior in the world or you recognize Mm. symptoms of certain things that you now are more tuned into so that you don't repeat them again. Absolutely. Even on a very simple level, for example, when I was very young and I went to a couple birthday parties and I had not had sugar up until that time. And I remember after eating it, all the kids got hyper, but I went into a long vacant stare. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I think I just had like half a piece of birthday cake and already I stopped eating it because I could hardly move. Yeah. So after a couple times, I asked my parents, could a person be allergic to sugar? Mm. And they laughed so hard. I remember the conversation. I remember them looking at each other and going, here she goes again. She is, you know, (laughs) (laughs) mad scientist. And they were like, no, sweetie, nobody could be allergic to sugar. And so I accepted that as a fact because it didn't happen to them. And they think it's a perfectly ridiculous idea. And there can't be an exception. This is the way things work. So after more birthday parties, I wondered what else it could be. Could it be a secret ingredient? And still, you know, sugar tastes so divine, so it's not like I want to give it up. But same thing happened every time I ate it, a long, vacant stare afterwards. Sometimes I could hardly break my stare. (laughs) You know, I'd be like an attractor beam. And so ultimately, though, it led me to look at other people. I looked at the majority who got hyper from sugar, And somewhere around junior high school, I finally decided it doesn't matter if I'm allergic to it formally. I have a problem with it. It makes me feel this way. And that was the beginning of thinking for myself and evolving. Now, many years later, I found out that my paternal grandmother was diabetic, severely diabetic. And then later I had my blood sugar tested, like by the time I was in the end of my teens. And they said, do you know you're borderline diabetic? And I was like, oh, type one or type two? Yeah. (laughs) And they were like, type two. And I was like, oh, I could change this. I could just change Mm -hmm. my diet. The story of my experience with sugar is an experience both of devolution and evolution. Hmm. Because... The devolution is when I didn't trust myself. I mean, the ultimate thing this is about is evolving what we are, which is a human. And I think that the reason 
We are so resistant to change. It's the one thing that I think we all paradoxically or not share is a resistance to change. And that's because history is rooted in the fact that we are not and have not yet become aware of A, why we're here, why we're alive, which is to evolve, advance whatever peoples we came from, wherever they're at, wherever they're stuck, whatever the mythology is. Anything that is destructive to ourselves or others has to be evolved. Mm -hmm. Because we don't know what we are, that is why we feel so drawn to things that are not healthy for us over and over and over again, whether it's like in my case, sugar or relationships or jobs and bosses and all the dynamics of life fall under this broad umbrella and the very path we walk. But why, why does that make us attracted to things that aren't good for us? Because they're familiar. Even in the human brain, we literally have indentations and grooves in the gray matter of the brain of patterns that existed before. If we've done the same thing over and over again and not evolved, you would think that would be a good reason to change. <laughs> but it's not. We just repeat what's most familiar because we're comfortable and we don't want to do something that rocks the boat. That makes sense that pain is usually the thing that gets us to change because we're so comfortable I mean, for me personally, too, I think I might associate more with the comfort than I'd like to lead on. Like if something does feel so comfortable and good, even though it's bad for you, how can it be bad if it feels so good? That's so messed up. And aren't there an awful lot of songs with those lyrics? How can something so bad feel so good? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of yeah. Lauren Hill. <laughs> <laughs> it's also really annoying because it's so personal. It's so individual. It's such a thing that you have to, it has to feel right for you. It has to be for you. And that's the other difficult layer to this is that society projects onto us so much of a standard. And sometimes the things that are good for you don't necessarily line up with that standard. So not only are you going against your own history, but you're also going against collective history of how things should be done or what you should do or, you yeah, know. Yeah, but that's why, I mean, you know, when I first started writing those oneness model books a long time ago and talked about exactly this thing, how do we evolve? How? And what are the signs of devolving? The reason is I wasn't trying to be clever and catchy when I called it the work. It really is the work. It's why we're here. And we have to do it as individuals. There's no way you can do it for on behalf of a group. What are the signs of devolving? Like, does it manifest in your body? Are there things? I mean, I know when something doesn't feel right to me, it definitely there's markers I have in my body, sort of like mm. I'm sure when you kept having sugar and you were going mm. into these blank stares, 
I guess it just happens so much until it catches your attention enough for you to really have to make a change. And hopefully you're not diabetic already. And metaphorically, I think that people choose relationships similarly. So in terms of relationships, like what would it be historically? Would it be something that you inherited or something that you observed in your parents or where could that kind of history come from where you're just attracted to a certain kind of person for relationships? Well, for sure. I mean, talk to an analyst and (laughs) they can bring it down to your family systems. But I also think we have to look at perception and the distortions that our perceptions are so very vulnerable to because nobody can assign who you are according to you except your own perception. That's why it's our individual work to uncover like the perfect way to do it is live life just by living. So from my six-year-old experience, you know, conversation with my parents about sugar to watching behavior of friends that was called acceptable, which horrified me. And I thought, why do they call bullying being a friend? Okay, so that's an established behavior. Uh, At my school, the parents didn't do anything to stop the behavior. They encouraged it. They said, let the kids sort it out themselves. And it was like Lord of the Flies. Mm. It was truly dangerous behaviors. So I think that when you see it emulated enough times, any kind of pattern of behavior, what you do is you decide who you are in that according to your perception. Mm. Now, for myself, the one thing I decided is I don't want to be a part of that. I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't know what I was committing to. But the one thing I could say is I cannot live with myself if I'm going to be a part of that. That's like a baby step right there. Yeah. Can you think of similar situations where something is a group behavior, a crowd behavior? We have cultures at school. We have belief systems that kind of gather those groups together. What if you stay friends? What if you live in the same town you've always lived in, that your parents grew up in, that your grandparents grew up in, that everyone identifies what you're supposed to be like, and it's not healthy, not for you, not for others? How do you evolve that pattern? Oh, I leave. That's one way. Well, yeah. I mean, if there's brave. a If I don't feel like there's a place for me, then I leave. Mm. That's my pattern. (laughs) And is that evolution, do you think? That's hard to say. I think that in some ways, yes. But in other ways, I think about, you know, maybe sometimes I can't just leave anytime I feel like I don't belong. Mm. How do you know if something's healthy for you? or unhealthy for you? I feel it in my body. I think it's somatic for me. My stomach is sort of like the epicenter of my emotional state. And so I usually can tell based on if I have an appetite or if I don't have an appetite. 
But it, it's also tricky. I think that I'm still learning to trust myself because sometimes some of the greatest things that I've done um, in terms of breaking historical patterns have felt mm. awful. They felt like I'm really going against the grain. They're so uncomfortable where I do have a visceral, like a physical reaction. But once I get through it, then you experience the benefit of it, but you still have to go through something. So I, I think that me personally, I'm still trying to navigate trusting my body and trusting the signs that it gives me and, and not attributing one feeling to every scenario. Mm. You know, I was cheated on in relationships and I had this intuition that let me know that that's what was happening and I knew it. And, you know, when I was younger, I would find evidence and look for evidence and then I'd get the evidence. And then later on in my life, when I would feel that feeling, I would jump to the assumption that, oh, he's cheating on me. But that wasn't necessarily true. It was true that something was happening, but it wasn't necessarily cheating. Mm -hmm. Then I learned to trust it in a different way where I was like, okay, something's not right, but it's not necessarily the thing that I think it is. It could be something in that area or in that arena, but it's not necessarily that. Yeah. Well, I think also you have to know that you're going to go through all these different awarenesses until it gets to this place where you're absolutely sure. Yes. When you reach critical mass in yourself, that's it. There's no going back. Yeah. But you you have to figure out what that looks like. And, and my awareness of the quickest sign to know something's not good for me is if it puts me in all or nothing thinking or survival thinking mm. that I go, oh, wait a minute. I no longer have options. Now I know I'm in trouble. Wait, but there's a, a lot of times I feel that way. Hmm. And by the way, it's not such a bad thing to have whenever you're making a big move, like a life-changing move, getting married, getting engaged, moving, taking a new job, hiring someone, firing someone, leaving a pattern that is something you grew up in. All of a sudden, you are faced with being alone. There's nobody there for you but you and everything that you hold to be true. So that is why it is very important. We can't sit on the fence. You have to establish what you believe you are here for, what you are about. You don't have to know everything else. Take your time. Knowledge is something we can acquire along the way. But you do have to know who and what you are, what you're about. Because then every single thing that unfolds in your life, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, is still going to give you no help. You have to make the final decision. And in that, you are utterly alone. Our biggest fear. You just nailed it right there. It's the aloneness. Mm, it's so tricky. I think it's really a very big place to come to where you're willing to be uncomfortable. And that goes back to why we repeat the patterns that aren't healthy for us or not healthy for other people, and we know it. We do it because we're afraid 
that we'll lose what we do have. It's much scarier. You know that expression, better the devil you know than the devil you don't know? (laughs) I've always wondered why we include the devil. Why can't it just be, wow, I'm evolving or I slid back. Let me figure this out and step forward again. It's the unknown. And the unknown, we have so many fears that it could be bigger than we ever dreamt of. And, And that's why it's so important that in the evolutionary process, if we were informed from the beginning of life that that's why we're here, we would make very different choices with virtually every single thing we did. Because if you love what you are and why you're here, you just start to trust what you love and you leave the rest behind. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about is the fear of leaving that behind. Mm -hmm. It's only scary until we know more. Mm -hmm. What if we knew what we really were? It wouldn't be scary at all. It would be an adventure. Mm -hmm. I think it starts by trusting that whether we like it or not, we're here together. Together we get these beautiful mirrors of contrast of what we need to leave. And we get these beautiful mirrors of things we say, what? That's me. I want to be a part of that. Something in that calls me to it. That's how we leave the familiar behind. That's our devolution. Sushi, can you give an example of um, like some of the ways you have concretely felt supported to make a change or a, a shift that moved you forward where you felt like, oh, this is definitely my next steps? Um, confirmations of any sort. I, I Mm. personally really enjoy divine confirmation. So when I ask for signs of any kind and I get them, I really enjoy support from close friends because oftentimes I mince words, you know, like we were talking before. I'm like, wait, but isn't this what loyalty looks like? Or isn't this what dedication looks like? Or isn't this what love looks like? And then when you decide that that definition isn't actually what you thought it was, it was sort of like when you asked your parents if anybody was allergic to sugar and they laughed and then you just accepted that. I think that Mm -hmm. there's so many things like that that I've just accepted. And then once you question them, you kind of feel crazy for a moment. But then if you get a confirmation from a friend or mirroring from somebody that you trust, it almost concretizes things. And you're like, okay, that's all I needed. Totally. I mean, I think it's so interesting that today there's a lot of therapies that are just suddenly have blossomed and taken root and are available. And therapies where we get tools so that we can cope with the change. Yeah. Because like you said, there's so much that comes with the change too. Like it's so often where I feel shame, like a really deep sense of shame for wanting to change. And then you get stuck in this shame cycle. Mm. And if you have a lot of capacity and yet you inherited a lot to transform, that's a life journey. And we should know that's what we're in for today, everybody. 
And I, I do remember when I was quite young, it was my first year of high school, I had spent a summer in a place where there were quite a number of healers and therapists of every kind, like extraordinary modalities that are not so very common. And they were all in this one Mecca. And I was there visiting a relative. And when I met them, I think I had just turned 15 a few months earlier. And every single evening, they invited me to join them. And their conversations about healing and modalities, and they were eating organic food and sprouted foods. And I remember just thinking, I'm home. Wait, how can these be my people? They're like 25 years older than me. Wait, how am I going to find these people when I'm in high school? I just know I'm not going to find them back home. And every night they would say, are you going to join us again, Jewel? And I'd say, why do you guys tolerate me? I'm just 15. And they said, oh, that doesn't matter. You're just like us. Don't you know yet? That was the most powerful social mirror that would have to carry me for another many, several years before I'd meet people that were what I'd call my people. So it's not about finding the same thing. It's about having the same identification of purpose. And within that, diversity is so welcomed. But I do think that that is a game changer when you find, like you were saying, close friends who you trust. Yeah. I didn't have those people, so it had to be strangers. (laughs) Yes. I mean, everything that you're saying is I love. But I think too, for me personally, I think that because I've been burned by some of those people Mm. that I thought were that... I think I have a hard time trusting that sometimes now. It's like layers. It's layers to it. Yes. And all those layers do is lead you to the freedom of ultimately getting to be what you are so you evolve more readily. Because the more we practice these tools, the more we get familiar with identifying weight, I really felt like I was in my equilibrium and, and really in my elements of my work here, suddenly X, Y, and Z happened, and I start having physical symptoms. Sushi, you and I talk about this virtually every single day. We unpack, oh, this is happening. I wonder what triggered this. I went, it's so delightful because you move through it quickly. When you can identify that something has plunked you from your equilibrium and evolve stance into your personal devolution because you're now in survival again, it's an opportunity to either go further or deeper or both. If we get used to it, I think there won't be anything that we can't address in society. The problem is how many people can you have this conversation with? Right. That's the tricky thing. And if we could have... um, the conversations about how to move every relationship forward, we know that, number one, there has to be an accountability and a lack of blame Mm -hmm. and a willingness to look at what would create something mutual because if it's not mutual, it's not evolutionary. Mm -hmm. If we were finally not drawn to all the things that are not good for us, 
That is what uncovers and reveals not just what's good for us, but what we really have been craving, what we really have been desperate for anyway, underneath it all. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like a lot of people call me and they complain about a variety of things in their relationships with the person they're most intimate with or the fact that there is no one to be intimate with. And I find it so extraordinary that if you ask anybody what's their ultimate relationship, they'll say some version of soulmate, true love, a true friend, their person, some version of that. But when I ask people, oh, are you ready for that then? They usually go, yeah, no, that's too much work. (laughs) (laughs) Really? uh And then I'll say, wait, you mean it's not work? Every time you've ever called me and complained, I'm exhausted. Oh my gosh, that person, I know they're not good for me, but they're better than nothing. And so I always ask, well, why are you spending your time with people who put you in survival? Why don't you go for that thing you say you want? And so the only thing (laughs) that stands in the way is history. This thing they keep repeating is familiar. So I think that if we weren't drawn towards what's not good for us anymore— we would have so much energy. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, if we talk about things like food, it's so easy to say you would do a detox. But then when it comes to things like relationships, how are you not attracted to what you're attracted to anymore? I mean, I remember for a very long period of time from high school through after college, I was attracted to the same guy even though I knew, I just kept accepting him back in, in different forms, but it was just what I liked. I couldn't unlike it. Then my question for you is, you liked him, right? Mm -hmm. But did you like how you felt? No, I didn't, but I didn't know how to unlike, like how to like something else. And even the thought of like a healthy relationship with whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever, it turned me off. I was like, well, Um, I guess I'm just going to be in an unhealthy thing because that's, this is the kind of person I like. Until, Smishy, you started to love yourself. True. Then when you really get to know yourself and who and what you really are, instead of what you're not, because obviously in that relationship you're in, it wasn't working. It's just you would gravitate towards one another. As a lot of people talk about attraction, the law of attraction, the power of attraction. But you know, there are many things that attract, not one thing. And just like with real magnets, when you change the mineral component, when you change the magnetic dynamics of what's attracting, the attraction changes. Mm -hmm. So the more you know yourself, the more you would be attracted to something that would be mutually satisfying. Yeah. So it's not that you wouldn't find him attractive, but he wouldn't attract you. Yeah. 
Um, Sushi, do you feel like you've had any examples in your life of evolution? Like, have you seen it? In my direct life or me observing people I don't know? It could be someone you know and have observed personally or someone you've had the privilege of intersecting with or reading about. Well, it's interesting. God, now that I'm thinking about it, because some people are really interested in evolving in one area, but there are very few people that I think are interested in evolving across the board. But I don't know why I'm thinking about um, in the 90s, Jane, she's an activist. Jane Fonda? Jane Fonda, thank you. Mm. I listened to this interview she did with Oprah, or it wasn't even an interview. It was one of Oprah's podcasts. And I was really inspired by her evolution. It just felt like at every big turn in her life, she always picked her. You know, she always picked who she knew she was and what her purpose was, not the shiny historical thing that felt safe or that mm. felt easy. She really inspired me from, as somebody that I don't know. And everybody should listen to that podcast of hers. It's so good. That was such a good example. Thank you for that. And I so agree. She's such an inspiring human, so inspiring. It's like she's had many incarnations. Yeah, she really has. I mean, from Mm. her childhood. Yes. And it felt like she was seeking that from a young age too. You know, Mm. like in that podcast, she talks about how this famous actress came to her house to go swimming because her dad was a famous actor And it was the first time where any of her parents' friends had ever paid attention to her, you know, hung out with her and mirrored her. And then in that moment, she got a piece of herself. And then she just kept collecting more and more of herself. But anytime she got a piece, she always held on to it strongly. And like, it just felt like she collected all these things and it made her fearless in a way. And then it made her look at fear and the things that she was afraid of. Like, I think she was terrified of doing backflips or something. And then, so she trained to learn how to do them to get over her fear. I just remember thinking how inspired. And then she was in a marriage. She had married this like multi-zillionaire and she was talking about how it wasn't working for her. And she was like, well, I could just stay in this and know that I'll be taken care of for the rest of my life because he was willing to do anything for her. But she knew somewhere deep down she needed something more. Mm. So she moved out of this like palatial mansion and like left all these comforts behind, even though she was older in life and like moved back in with her daughter and like slept in her daughter's kids room or something and like and she was like I'd never been happier but it was because mm. she had herself you know she didn't yes. need anything else I, I love that, that I think we need more examples like that I agree thank you sushi you know um there was a woman that you and I know I only met her once in person, but I knew of her work around the world. And originally she was Canadian and um, her name 
was Ruhia Hanum, and I loved reading her story and her, she's been recorded a lot of her talks that she gave around the world, and I feel that she's lesser known influencer of the evolution of the feminine and the waking up of the feminine to what it must do is stop waiting for other people to make life better for themselves. And I felt like she did it in such a powerful but natural, authentic way. And so I got fascinated by her life and how she grew up and what led from one thing to the next. And one quality of hers that she always had from the beginning was a fearlessness to question. She questioned everything, which I don't think was common in her era. But she said that when she turned 40, which was before she began traveling around the world to all these extraordinary UN-sponsored events, and um, she herself started these extraordinary international and intercontinental conferences like in Africa, so Pan-African nations would come and all these women for the first time in history would come and then bring back that inspiration and empowerment to their villages. And uh, she gave herself a birthday present on her 40th birthday. And it would be that she would stop saying she was sorry and apologizing for the way she said anything. And that was the beginning of her work, her real big work. And I've always thought, ah, of course, Because if you're constantly catering to the powers that be around you in terms of culturally what is acceptable, how to say it, how not to say it, how you should appear, how you should not appear, don't be too bold, she became literally a force to reckon with. And I think it's so exciting and inspiring that she didn't become aggressive or hostile. Rather, she became more empowering and effective. And like you, she had the gift of befriending so many people. I think you have this wondrous gift at not just recognizing the gifts in other people, so many, but befriending so many people at once. I don't know how you do it. But it's such an extraordinary gift, and I think that it spreads, you know, it becomes contagious. It's such a beautiful thing to have that kind of inclusivity. But I think that's an evolutionary move because if we are going to evolve as a species, we have got to get more adept at getting through the things that are historic that put us off and more connected to how we really do evolve and help each other evolve, be that true reflection for each other. Mic drop. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh, Sushi. Sushi, that Sushi, was good. We have to evolve. We must. Yeah. We have to start trusting it. We got to leave the rest behind, Sushi. Yeah. Well, the good thing is I think that it's contagious. I think it's difficult to figure out how to do it, but I feel like just starting simple with trusting what feels right to you really trusting that. And I love what you said about trust what you love. You can't go wrong with that. 
just really trusting what you love, regardless of how big or small it is. Like, I love basketball. I trust it. (laughs) I just trust it. I trust when I'm at a game. I trust, I just Mm, trust myself there. And that's enough. That's like a little piece of, you know, me, but it's like for everybody that's listening, just trusting what you love and, Mm. you know, working that. And for me too, just understanding that it is work. It's not going to just happen. It's not going to, I mean, I, I'm the queen of talking about manifesting, but it's not going to just manifest. It takes work. Mm. It's so true. I mean, I'm so happy that we could just open the door a crack in this conversation in this direction, because that's all it is, until we learn better how to train ourselves in looking at life anew, looking at life about our evolution and each other's evolution. What a simpler way to approach our growth. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Smishy. Smishy, thank you always. And thank you for the listeners, because we feel you with us. We just want you to know we're in this together. Love you, Smishy. Love you. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find the Butterfly Forecast every Tuesday with a new episode available wherever you do your podcasting. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hope to see you then. We'll see you next time. Thank you.